they spot him taking the garbage out at 4 a.m. Now, either he's like trying to not be seen or, and I'm just spitballing here, he's having trouble sleeping because he a bunch of people. Hey, this is Matt Cox, and I am here with Josh, America's attorney, and we are going to be discussing the quadruple murder case of the uh, the Idaho students. Josh has got the indictment on um, on Brian. What is his name? Brian Kohlberger. Kohlberger. Kohlberger on Brian Kohlberger, and we're going to go over it. And I've watched at least six different videos on this, so I'm an expert. And uh, as far as experts go in today's society, sad as that is. All right, so thank you. Check this out. Uh, I screwed you, man. Go back. Dude's name is Koberger, not Koberger. Mancy gets on me every time because I stick an L in there. Yeah, I didn't see an L. I have K-O at Burger, yeah. but then... Yeah, it's Koberger. Yeah, eh, that's fine. I, I, no reason to change it. Listen, nobody's watching this channel because they're expecting professionalism or perfection or anything like that. They're, they're, if they are, they are sorely disappointed and they move on. If you want to get famous and you want your last name to get known, you can just commit a crime and then people have to learn how to say your name. It's Koberger, Kohlberger. I don't know, but you know, we're still working on our pronunciations. What's going on with your background? Who picked this background? You don't like it, huh? Well, it doesn't scream uh, attorney to me. It screams, you know, like you're in the in the woods or it's very Yellowstone. <laughs> um, so I think we just grabbed it on the fly the first time we made a video with you. And uh, if it's bothering you, I'll change it. No, it doesn't if bother me. Not, I'm just, I'll, I'm change just... It. I'll change it. This will be the last time you'll ever see it. This <laughs> is curious. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So what, so, okay. Do, how much do you know about the, the case? Well, the way to become an expert is to watch videos. I've seen some videos, but I've also studied the affidavit from Brett Payne, who was a law enforcement officer who actually got the arrest warrant from the judge in, uh, Idaho, um, this is uh, from December 29th. It's an 18-page affidavit, super detailed. Um, one of the things I love about uh, affidavits in support of arrest warrants is they're largely very clearly and linearly written. Mm -hmm. And if you want to take the time to read one, they really do kind of explain the investigation and the crime. Yeah, I've I've read a few of them, and I, I they'll throw in the quotes and the exact like you you get a much better understanding and reading the like a master affidavit um than you do the indictment yeah yeah the the indictment is is formalized so uh i was actually just talking about this uh a few minutes ago one of the things that the legal system does is it takes a a narrative uh, a story that you can comprehend that is actually easy to tell to someone else, like, you know, what happened? Because we all tell stories all the time. And it it breaks it into these uh, truly artificial nuggets that the, the legal system says are important. And so, you know, if you prove A, B, C, and D, 
then you can say that thus and such happened, right? Right. And um, it's that way in civil lawsuits. It's that way in criminal lawsuits. And so the skip the indictment. The indictment explains to you how many years of jail someone might go spend. Wow, can't even talk. I'm glad I'm not going to jail for stuttering. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, here you go. All right. But the arrest warrant affidavit, that's where that's where the magic happens. Are, are these on Pacer? Uh, yeah, let, let me think. So he got charged in state court and almost all states have some version of Pacer right. where you can get them. I think we actually got it through a link from a news article and downloaded it from there. Um, I, can I just complain about something for a second? Absolutely. The PACER system, which if you don't know what that is, uh, the federal court system is online. Everything is filed electronically. It's all available. You have to pay for it, um, <clears throat> but it's there. Anyone can see it. It's like perfectly organized It, from a lawyer's perspective, because I mostly practice in federal court. It's dreamy. I mean, you it, it just makes so much sense. It's intuitive. It actually is like the opposite of the federal government. It's like um, it's user friendly. It's coherent. It's efficient. They were the first ones to roll it out. And then all the states said, hey, we want to have electronic filing systems also because, you know, they're using basically they're using these court filing systems from the 1800s. Not a joke. No state just copied the federal system. They all came up with their own systems. They're all garbage. The federal ECF system is the absolute best, best filing system for electronic documents in the world. I love it. All right, there. That, I just wanted to get that out there. Got it. So you got the you have the affidavit. Yeah, I got the affidavit. Um, so I don't, you haven't read it, I don't think, but you've watched some videos. Yeah. What do you, so one of the things that really bothered me following this, uh, murder or these murders was that there's like headlines saying like the law enforcement is silent. Uh, law, no one on law enforcement is saying anything. This guy is getting away with it. We don't know who did it. They botched yada, yada, yada. it. They're botching the investigation. Right, right up till they nail him. Yes. Like, you need to keep us informed of our investigation? <laughs> yes. I don't think so. I'm like, Koberger reads these articles also. Like, yeah. what? It's, um, it, I mean, I think it's a symptom of us having access to so much information all the time that we are like we just expect like we should be able to have the police have a press conference every day and tell us well here's what we know and here's what we don't know and bad guy if you're out there you know help us fill in these these blanks here get rid of the knife we found the sheath <laughs> yes um <laughs> yeah um we have you your know? car we have yeah. we, we know what kind of car you are so so he immediately goes and has the tag changed you know, like, like, it's like anytime he heard something, he was, seemed like he was actively like, okay, gotta, gotta work something out here. Um, so if, uh, for your viewers who don't know, they, they zeroed in on a, uh, Hyundai, is it an Elantra? Elantra. 
Yeah, Hyundai, Hyundai Elantra. Elantra. Very well-made car, as I understand it. You can drive it across the country in a hurry if needed, uh, <laughs> even when it's eight years old. Um, they got a car that their computer system said, this is probably a Hyundai. They got it on some surveillance footage not related to the location of the murders, but they went and checked nearby cameras. And apparently there's basically one driving way in and out of the area where this was. And they got this car going back and forth, back and forth, including the night of the murders, right? Yeah. Um, so, I mean- Well, so, so it was the, also he has, he was in the area 12 separate times. So I'm sure those correspond with the vehicle being there. You know, your phone is there. It's being pinged off of the, you know, the, the um, cell towers. Your car is there. So, you know, anyway. Yeah. So, but I think from an investigative standpoint, you, you, you jump ahead a little when you start talking about the phone, because okay. they've got to figure out um, which cars, like what is the universe of potential cars that this could be? And the surveillance footage, again, not related to criminal surveillance. It's just cameras that they found indicate that it's a car probably headed to this other school. Well, I mean, school schools have, their cars are registered. And so now they're getting like a very, very small group of people who could, you know, who are likely to be behind the wheel of this car. And it's a fascinating, um, it's a fascinating funnel, right? Because at the time the murders are discovered, everyone in the world who's living is a suspect, right? Right. And then that group of people get smaller and smaller and smaller and having access to a matching vehicle shrinks the number of suspects down, like literally so small. It goes from 300 million Americans down to just a few students over at, is it Washington State? What was the school where he was? Uh, he was, oh yeah, he, he was at Washington uh, State University. Yeah. He was working on his PhD. He was uh, also teaching classes. He was like a, um, an assistant. Yeah. Uh, um, he has a, yeah, I'm sorry. And so, but it's this one piece of evidence, this video evidence, which of course is not dispositive, but it's a very suspicious behavior of a vehicle. Um, Wasn't that coupled with, I mean, like you said, whatever, 350 million, you can eliminate women <laughs> yeah. as an eyewitness, you know, yep. the, uh, the, the, um, I, I guess the, um, you know, so, so she eliminates, she, she said it was a man. So now we're down to, I guess half that of the United States is, you know, whatever that comes to, what is that? Uh, 175,000 or 175 million. Now where you keep, now, how many have that, that age group in their twenties, how many have that car? How many go to that school? Like it very quickly funnels right down to Brian. Yeah, with one piece of evidence, right? That it's, well, it's not one piece of evidence. Couple. It's a Hyundai Elantra 
and it's headed back to Washington State. Yeah. Well, now, that now you're it's, down to like eight well, or nine. That in and of itself is amazing. Yes. Unbelievable. And, and that's not going to happen in, I'm going to say, and, and, I mean, you probably know better than I do, but I'm going to say 40 years ago, there, there basically weren't surveillance cameras. Like, not, not how there are now, maybe even 20 years ago. Yeah, no, no. What? Let, let's say, you know, whatever. 40 years ago, you basically have an eyewitness girl who says, hey, I'm looking for a guy who's athletic in his 20s with bushy eyebrows. Oh, we've got him. Like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah. Run, get a sketch, run it in the newspaper, put it on a billboard, hope for the best. Yeah. Um, and so far, there's no real link that it is. Is there? I heard that they're so far, the families are trying to figure out, is there even a link between Brian and any of these students? Is so, there, has that come out? Yeah. So there is reporting out now that he uh, DM'd one of the victims. And I can't remember which one it was, but I, I might know in a minute. And um she never responded, but maybe he sent two or three messages to her. Um, that's kind of creepy. Uh, but I just, I I'm so fascinated by law enforcement's ability to take, uh, a little bit of information, which is that it's probably a Hyundai Elantra and it was probably headed towards Washington state, get it down to a small group of people. And then they start checking cell phone records and, Dude, I, I know, like, in this guy's mind, uh, he's a criminal genius, right? Um, like, he, he actually thinks he's going to get away with it, obviously, because he, he doesn't go turn himself in. He hasn't admitted it was him, yada, yada, yada. He, like, he actually thinks he's getting away with it. How? Because he puts his phone in airplane mode while he, while he goes for the final trip, as if he hasn't created a bunch of breadcrumbs from previous trips. And this is the thing that blows my mind. He could have just left his phone at home. The entire and then time. he could say like, oh, well look, my I never go anywhere without my phone and my phone was home that day. But he put it in airplane mode, which no one, like no one puts their phone in airplane mode for three hours in the middle of the night. That's not how it works. I, that's like the most guilty yeah. Do you yeah, know what girl it is? Oh, oh, if you're thinking of killing someone out there, disregard my advice. Definitely put your phone in airplane mode for just the moment that you're doing the, the, the crime. Wow. Sorry. Well, you know, so he has a degree in, in criminal justice, right? Yes. Like you would think that he would take a lot more precautions. Yeah, I, you would. You wouldn't. Uh, I mean, you wouldn't case the location with your phone on you. Right. You, or maybe even in your car. Yeah, you you wouldn't um, you wouldn't take your own vehicle to to the uh, to, to commit the crime. I don't think I, I don't know. I guess. Hey, I'm glad he did. You know, um, a lot of criminals are pretty smart. Um the cops only have to be right one time yeah. to, to bring somebody in and the criminals get away with it for a long time, but you only got to mess up once. Right. Yeah. I used to say that all the time. Like you've got, you've got like a hundred thousand police officers working on multiple cases and 
they only have to be right once. Yeah. You, you really can't screw up. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the profile on him, I watched, so I watched a video. This was actually interesting. Have you ever heard of this guy, Dr. Todd Gran? I don't think I have. He's got a YouTube channel and he is extremely monotone. Oh, oh, this is a guy who does um, psychiatric profiles of people. Yes. Yeah, I, I've seen one of his videos. Very. So Brian did this and Brian did that. And then Brian this. It is alleged that it's like I, I and I, but the problem is while he's doing it, I'm thinking to myself, I don't even think like I could forgive this if you were reading. But I don't think you're reading. I think you just talk like this. So um, hey. really a great video, by the way. Yeah, very insightful guy, very monotone. He and I have different energy levels. I think I might drink yeah. more coffee than he does. Yeah, he, you know, one of the things he said was, which I thought was interesting that he mentioned it. He said the the criminal, the, the profile was of a guy between 20 and 40 who was unemployed, had a failed relationship with a woman. And in it, he says, you know, obviously Brian's in his 20s, makes sense. You know, he said he was employed. Oh, it also said that the person was not that bright. Like they shouldn't expect him to be highly educated. He would probably not be that uh, intelligent. You know, Brian clearly was intelligent despite the numerous mistakes he made. Yeah. But he was bright. He was in his 20s. He was employed. And, um, and it that he said that, but it doesn't seem that he's had really any real successful or failed rela or relationships at all with with women. Yeah, interesting. Well, so he doesn't really. Meet, oh, sorry. sorry. Go ahead. Well, it's, it, he, he was saying so he doesn't really meet that profile, which is yeah. I, I mean, I think even the profilers will tell you it's just a profile. Yeah, and you know the evidence takes you wherever the evidence takes you. Um, and you know, this is the type of murder which people got away with in the 1980s. They oh, really yeah. did. This is You're, a Ted Bundy murder. Yeah. You, you and, um, it just, we don't live in that world anymore. And I know that some people don't like how connected we are and how tagged we are with our location all the time, but you know, sometimes it works, it works out for good, right? They catch the bad guy. Did you ever watch the, uh, there was a Netflix series on Ted Bundy documentary series. It's like a, gosh, it's gotta be four five, six parts. No, this came out in 20, in 2022, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's not for me, man. I, yeah. I can't do, I can't watch that. It, it was great. Well, only oh. in, well, only in the fact that I was, you know, I knew who Ted Bundy was. I knew he'd committed a bunch of murders. I knew he fought his case for a long time. Eventually you know, he was uh, electrocuted, but I had no idea how many times like he got, you know, he got pulled over and the police let him go, even though they were looking for him, even though he matched the, the who they were looking for. He uh, he escaped prison twice. He like all of these things that happened that I was watching, you're watching. It's like like none of these things would happen now. Like, yeah, not, there's no way you're getting away with all the things that he got away with did did you have any close calls that you know of before you got brought in me yeah yeah i had a bunch of them what what's the closest call you ever had 
I was in a Wachovia bank one time removing money. I borrowed $1.3 million on a couple of houses. I was draining the account. I walked in with a, an ID, state-issued ID, in the name of Gary Sullivan, and I was pulling out cash. I had pulled out maybe 600000 Walk into the bank one day, and I had multiple bank accounts. I walk into Wachovia, and I'm waiting to get a check cashed for or remove like whatever, eight or 9000 And two sheriff's deputies walked up behind me and grabbed my arms, pulled them behind my back, and handcuffed me. A detective came, and I, I sat down in the office. A detective comes from uh, Richland County. He comes in. I'm number one on the Secret Service's most wanted list at this point. Okay. So I'm assuming it's the FBI or the Secret Service that I'm waiting for. But the, the, sh the deputies are calling me Mr. Sullivan. I'm Matt Cox. So I'm thinking, eh, I don't know. They've got my ID. I don't know. The uh, detective walks in and says, hey, Mr. Sullivan, um, Wachovia's head of their fraud department contacted us. He he said that you, you're removing cash out of a bank account. He said that you've got three mortgage, three first mortgages on the same house. I actually had six. Um, that but I realized that obviously they caught only three. And I he said, and that basically you've committed a crime. And I was like, is that illegal to have two three first mortgages or and he's like, I, you know, to be honest, I don't know. And I, I remember thinking, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm <laughs> walking out of here. So he gets the head of the fraud department on the phone. And I spend about the next 20 minutes convincing the detective that they're mistaken. The bank has made a mistake. I work at a labor company. I give them my business card. I own a couple houses here. I'm getting money out of the bank to cash checks for the company I work for, for the laborers, because they get charged 10% at the check cashing place. I don't think that's right. I know the checks are good. I'm also rehabbing several houses in the area that I own. He checks. He goes, that's right. You own two houses. I said, correct. And I said, and a lot of the laborers are Mexican and I, they want cash. And I said, I don't, I wouldn't know how to do that, how to do something like this if I tried. And I said, to be honest with you, I said, what makes more sense? Three loan officers at different banks got together to help me borrow this money or that me, a guy that works at a labor company, was able to trick three large banks out of half a million dollars. I said, bro, I couldn't do this if I tried. And he goes, you know what? I think they've got a problem at the bank. I said, I think so too. <laughs> and he let me go. I went to the police station, filled out a police report, and he let me go. He's been known to cure insecurity just with his laugh. His organ donation card lists his charisma. His smile is so contagious. Vaccines have been created for it. He is the most interesting man in the world. I don't typically commit crime, but when I do, it's bank fraud. Stay greedy, my friends. Support the channel. Join Matthew Cox's Patreon. So that's the closest. I also have several other. I got pulled over or the bank caught me red handed. I called them up and just gave them the money back. Like, let me just give you the money back. And that and worked. Like, oh, multiple times. One time I actually had two attorneys help me with Washington Mutual Bank. They talked to the Washington Mutual Bank lawyer there 
And he agreed, just give me, give us the money back. We won't contact the authorities. You know, completely unethical. Yeah. Now, I think that a lot of your viewers may not know this, but uh, banks uh, very much want to never uh, prosecute anyone. They don't want the fact of a crime to be known. Because yeah. they want their customer's experience to be, I bank at the safest bank. They never get scammed. They never get robbed. Everything is fine. I can put all my money here. I can borrow money from them. I can do business with them. I can trust them completely. But man, there's crimes happening all the time. Those banks are victimized all the time. And they don't want people to know it. Yeah. Because it's bad for business. That is exactly, I had a, Sun Star Bank. Not just that. I I was caught with about two million dollars worth of of bad loans at a company called um, uh, Pinnacle Bank out of Chicago, and Pinnacle Bank didn't want to prosecute me because they would have had to have they'd already sold about a, a million dollars worth of those loans to Household Bank, and they would have had to have notified Household Bank and bought the loans back. Yes, like they don't want to buy a million dollars worth of loans back. Yeah. So, so if they, they would, can get all yeah, of the money, part of the money, whatever from you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look, I could, I can go on and on. I've had so many close calls and I just, I kept getting, you know, the near the worst part about that for me is because I'm so arrogant, it just made me more, it just emboldened me. Every time I got away with it, I thought it was just because I'm that good. <laughs> yeah. It was like, it wasn't until I got arrested. I was like, I'm not that good. <laughs> Well, but yeah, but a bank is actually a good target because they want to keep everything hush hush. They're, um, they're your viewers, uh, bank at brick and mortar banks that have uh, been robbed recently and it's, it's not reported, it's not prosecuted, they don't find the people. The, ba the banks just want it to just go away. It's just money, but okay. bad publicity is way worse than you know 10 okay. 20 fifty thousand dollars gone missing apparently the margins for bankers are fairly good and if they get stolen from a little bit eh, you know they're all right a lot of fraud is just even though they know, yeah they know they've been defrauded they just you know first of all pursuing it is you know it it, it it's there's no real benefit to them they're not getting the money back it just makes them look bad so a lot of times, unless it's blatantly blatant and it's it's put in front of them in a, with a silver platter, they just don't pursue it. Yeah. Like, I think this is fraud. We should look into it. But in the end, are we really going to get our $2,500 back? No. So the opposite end of the spectrum uh, is a murder, uh, a multiple murder. And um, I mean, High profile murder. It's, it's high profile. I mean, it's like these supposedly, you know, innocent college students, like this could be your kid. This could be my neighbor. This could be anyone. People, they get worked up about it. And that, you know, law enforcement is, they're going to pursue that. And so people expect, like we were saying, like immediate feedback from law enforcement, like, oh, we know who did it or whatever. People are like dogging them in the, in the, um, Media, people are, you know, casting suspicion on their ability to find the guy. But according to the affidavit, just 12 days in, 
they were they were pretty sure that it was an Elantra that was at Washington State. And, uh, you know, they started sitting on him pretty quickly. And the story of them tracking him to Pennsylvania and, yeah, then, right. and then sitting on his parents' house. I don't know how far in the weeds you got on that. I did. Yeah, they follow him into the, the uh, grocery store. He's wearing gloves. Yeah. He's, so they, they, do you know what he did with his trash? No. What I mean, I know they got the trash and they realized they got the father's DNA. Yeah. And they said, so, oh, no. It's, this is, it's, this it's is fascinating. Um, they, they, they're watching him. Uh, he's cleaning out his car, like, like savagely cleaning it. In the, like at 4 a.m. or 3 a.m. sometime, wearing gloves, cleaning the car. I, I, don't under, I don't understand the gloves. It's his car. I mean, his DNA is in it. He doesn't, need, he doesn't need gloves on to clean his own car. But it doesn't matter. He's, he's, he's cleaning out his car. He's wearing the surgical gloves. They're watching this happen in the night. So, like, obviously, he's, he did it. I mean, yeah, that's, yeah. Like, that's just the dumbest odd. thing. But... Um, they they spot him taking the garbage out at 4 a.m. Now, either he's like trying to not be seen, or and I'm just spitballing here, he's having trouble sleeping because he killed a bunch of people. Uh, I've heard I've heard of that happening. Oh, um, but anyways, hard time well, believing he's losing sleep over over the murders. Uh, okay, how about being the attention of not having yet been caught? Yes. Okay, okay. Um, where did he put the trash? The garbage can? Neighbor's garbage can. Oh, yeah, like it's getting worse. Yes. And wor like it, these are harder and harder things to explain to a jury. Yeah. So his only hope, his only hope is to not explain it to a jury. And if you don't mind, I'm going to plug a video that's over on my channel yeah, uh, where I talk about this affidavit and, and what's contested and not contested. The only argument, honestly, that he's going to have that could possibly get him off is not one that he's going to make to the jury because the, ju the jury's going to take care of him. He has to file a motion to suppress the evidence obtained from the trash. that That's his only argument because- right. They don't have a warrant for the neighbor's trash. Right, and they don't have a warrant for his parents' trash because under the Fourth Amendment, uh, there's a, a United States Supreme Court case called California versus Greenwood, 1988, where the US Supreme Court said that the expectation of privacy which exists for the people here in our country does not extend to trash that you have put in the public domain. So it so, has to be dumped into the the landfill, right? Or dumped into the garbage. Uh, it has to be at the edge of your property. Um, so oh. the, the, the rule is basically if the trash man can pick it up, then so can the cop. Okay. I didn't know. Okay. So, um, I I put a bunch of videos, uh, I'm sorry, a bunch of still photos of raccoons as backgrounds in my video about this because the police are just, uh, they're just dumpster diving for evidence. And of course they know they're gonna get something and they're not actually looking for anything incriminating, even though he's certainly doing things that are incriminating at 4 a.m., putting 
his trash in his neighbor's, his parents' neighbor's trash can. They just need DNA from his dad or anyone in the family yeah. to link back to DNA that they got from the crime scene. Yeah, the sheath, the the knife, the K-bar uh, sheath, knife sheath, right, had his DNA on it. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know uh, how much time you spend thinking about the Fourth Amendment, but, like, do you have, uh, like, a, a gut reaction or a, a principled response to, like, whether they should have a an arrest warrant if they're going to dig in the trash? I mean, to me, once it's in the trash and it's discarded, it's not really my, on my property. Like I, I've discarded the moment I've discarded it and, and put it in the trash. But I don't like the like if it's in my trash can and it's in, in the backyard or it's even in the front yard. Like I don't like the idea of you going on my property to dig through my trash. Now, once I put it out, okay. You could even to me, I, you could even make the argument that wait a second until it's dumped in the truck, it's still. On my property, it's my trash. Once it leaves the bin, so that's my 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 thought on that. But nobody's asking, you know. Well, I yeah, that determination. I, I tend to agree with you there. I think there's kind of two elements to this. One is if you leave it out at the curb, um, and the principle is that you don't have an expectation of privacy in it. I get that because you're saying to the um, the trash man. Pick, pick this up, take it away, right? Like you, you've you've touched it for the last time. If it's still in your backyard, if it's still over on the side of your house, it's still yours. The other thing is um, that if a non-cop digs in your trash and it's out at the curb, are they committing a trespass? No. The, you've, the, to me, you've discarded it. Yeah, it's not. They're not coming on your property. So if it's not wrong for a neighbor to do, it's probably not wrong for the cops to do. Right. And then um, and then finally, from the law enforcement side, which is maybe a side that your viewers don't care to listen to. I don't know. But like just for purposes of fair hearing, let's hear them out. Once that um, trash is out there at the curb, they basically have an exigent circumstances situation because if they have to go find a judge to get a warrant signed... <laughs> It takes time. And the trash truck can come by at any time. They can't, they can't, you know, they can't stop it. Right. So it really like it's a it's a perfectly sensible rule to me. Here's where Coburg is at. The US Supreme Court says no expectation of privacy in the trash once you put it out at the curb. Okay. Um, but there's nothing preventing individual states from protecting people's individual rights and liberties more than the federal government does. And a state that touches Idaho, they do touch, Oregon touches Idaho, right? Listen, I was educated in the South. I'm not sure where any of these states are. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to say yes. It touch, Oregon and Idaho touch each other. Oregon says, no, you need a warrant for that. Um, and... That is the type of argument that Koberger's lawyers have to make, and they have to make it soon in writing to try to get the evidence suppressed so that there's ne they're never ever never able to tie up his dad's DNA to the DNA from the crime scene. Okay, but there's there's still well. 
would you have been able to get a warrant to arrest him if without that evidence? I still think he's still going to, he's, he's, yeah, he's still going to trial. He's still going to end up getting found guilty. Well, done so many, the circumstantial evidence is just stacking up. Yeah. The problem is there's this legal doctrine uh, called the fruit of the poison tree. Right. That says that, oh, you know this already probably, but if you have an illegal, um, a piece of evidence that you obtained illegally, then you have to throw out everything that you learned uh, from that piece of evidence. Right, but well, wasn't that the last piece of evidence? Did they already have like the phone or the, the cell tower? The or you're saying all that came after? No, I, I don't know that the fruit of the poison tree would really help him in, because they were already sitting on him. They already, right. they already, they already quote unquote knew it was him, right? Um, so I, you know, it's a loser of an argument. It he, he has to make argument. Yeah, it's his only argument. He has to make it. Um, so, um, I was going to say uh, that one thing that uh, you know sprang to mind when you were talking about homicides and is and homicide detectives. It's 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 my understanding dealing with homicide detectives. Like, you know, the thing about homicide detectives is that's that's a vastly different department than obviously all of the other departments because they're they're looking they're pursuing the worst crime imaginable. And they're they're zealots and they absolutely believe that what they're doing is is the the highest possible calling for law enforcement. So you tend to get like the most passionate uh, detectives in those, you know, in those departments like they they they're trying to solve someone's murder. You know, this is to them. It's it's hugely important. They're dealing with family members. They're brutal crimes like they tend, in my opinion, they tend to be extremely passionate about it as opposed to a guy who's trying to find a guy who's cashing bad checks it's like eh. yeah yeah and so if you look at their interaction with the the victims just to go back to the comparison to the bank um the bank is saying yeah pl please we don't even want you to we don't even want to know who it is no publicity please no charges like let us just move on we're making money hand over fist that's so different than a grieving family who's saying like that, you know, our loved one is gone and uh, brutally murdered, uh, which I mean, you know, every murder is, is brutal, but you know, gra graphically and violently murdered. Like you, you have to get justice for us. That's right. very different than a corporate institution saying, yeah, we don't really want justice. Why don't you just push this under the rug? Um, yeah. It, you know, it's funny. I literally, while I was in prison, I have one, two, I have three of my stories that have murders in them that are unsolved. And I've spoken with two of the homicide detectives that were in investigating it. And amazingly, they had already read my story, the stories that I wrote on them. And I actually spoke to one of them a few days ago. I wrote a story called Cash Logistics, where the robber, they'd set up a robbery and one of the guys got killed. So they set up a robbery to have these other crew of guys rob my subject. Like he's driving the truck. He's the one who's, who's in the cash depository and he sets himself up to be robbed. Once he gets robbed, 
the, he goes to get his money from the robbers and they short him. Instead of giving him like one and a half million, they give him like 150,000. And there's not much he can do. He's not a tough guy. He's not going to shoot or anybody or anything. So he kind of shrugs it off. Well, his buddy who helped set the whole thing up starts threatening the other guys. He's going to call or he's going to get that money. He's going to this. They end up kill, having him murdered. Well, it was unsolved. While I was incarcerated writing the story, it turns out that as I was interviewing my subject, his name was as a um, Jamal T Towns. While I'm interviewing Towns, he ends up telling me about another guy in another crew that had tried to rob like Wells Fargo and got shot in the face. I hate when that happens. And I was like, oh, my God. I was like, that's a great story, kind of a side story. And he was like, yeah. He goes, he goes, he's like, yeah, it's crazy. Well, it turns out I realized, you know what? There's a guy that just came to my unit. He was shot in the face. So I then go to him and real say, hey, I'm doing a story. And I tell him, he's like, yeah, yeah, I know that guy. That's the guy that was working with Dewey and these other guys. And yeah, yeah. I said, right, his buddy got shot and killed. He goes, yeah, I know, Shetfield, I know. He said, yeah, he said, it's funny. I was actually with Dewey and we drove by the murder scene within a half an hour or an hour of it happening. And Dewey told me he ordered the murder. And then he tells me who, what the name of the murderer. And I was like, did you tell the police this? He goes, no, I didn't tell the police this. Like, I don't talk to the police. So I was like, bro, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, the name of this guy. And he, and so we have a whole long discussion and he doesn't want to talk to the police. He's not, doesn't want to hear that. You know, we're in prison. He could get hurt, whatever. But I'm saying, look, we're not, this is different. This is a murder. Someone was gunned down walking out of his house. Like, come on. And anyway, so I wrote the whole story. I actually looked up the guy, pulled his police reports, the murderer, found out when he was in and out of prison, got all the police reports, put his name in there, explained the whole thing. And I did that as what I call the barbed wire backstory. So there's a, the main story. And then there's like a little side note on other things that happened, but didn't really make the story because they, they were anticlimactic. They didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Huh. So a couple of days ago, I get, a, I get an email from an FBI agent who tells me, since says, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this story. So I get on the phone with him and we're talking and he's like, hey, and he's asking me all these questions. And as we're talking, I said, well, have you talked to, you know, this guy, basically this guy Hollis, right? And, and he's like, why do you say that name? And I went, well, because that's the guy that they, that Kelby said killed him. And he's like, that's not in the story. And I go, where'd you get the story? He goes, well, it was in the file. And I said, oh, you didn't go to the website. He goes, no, there's another story. I said, yes, there's a second part. He goes there, he reads the story, comes back and he's like, oh my God, that's the guy. And I was like, oh, I said, how do you know? I said, I mean, I only have the one source. He said, no, no, he's got a, a couple other sources that said the same guy. Even the guy that hired him admitted that was the guy. But then he, he, then he refused to cooperate when he realized that wasn't going to get him out of jail. So, so did they get him? Wait, this is just now happening? This just happened. I talked to this guy like two days ago. Oh, my goodness. So he said, I'm going to – he said, listen. He was super excited. He's like, look, 
I'm going to look into this. Um, if anything happens, I will let you know. I really appreciate this. And so we had a whole conversation, you know, and just because he reached out to me, like I, I he's like, you've got the whole thing. I explained the whole thing. And so we'll see what happened. But he was an, the FBI agent that had worked on the case to begin with. He retired. And then the department, the police department hired him to come back and start working cold cases. Like, and that's the thing about these cases is that homicide detectives, like, you know, there's no statute of limitations. And, yeah. and a lot of times people are like, well, nothing happened, nothing happened. Look, I'm not saying that the cops don't botch police work, but for the most part, these people will, they'll work a case till it dies and then they'll wait five or six years and they'll come back and work it again and yeah. again and again. They're not doing that because it's cost effective. They're doing it because it's a passion to solve this crime. It's heinous. Like yeah. they didn't just hire this guy to come back and look at a case from six or seven years ago. There's no benefit. They want to solve it. So anyway, I, that's what I, I, that's my take on it. And I've had multiple yeah. times where I've talked to these agents who they'll, they'll talk, they'll talk to you and be like, listen, I want to solve this. So again, yeah. Now it, you're making an interesting distinction. Um, there isn't anyone out there trying to probably trying to solve, you know, 30 year old. Hot check, check check. Yeah. I mean, Credit card fraud. there are statutes of limitations on some crimes and not on others. Right. And um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you commit a murder or four murders in this case. Um, the, the police are not, they're not going to quit. They're not going to give up. It may take a break after, you know, they've run down every lead, but it's a different world. Now uh, the DNA stuff that's out there is phenomenal. Uh, the cell phone tracking is, uh, I mean, it's very precise. It's very detailed. The records exist and they, they exist forever. Yeah. It's compelling. Yeah. And, there's there's video surveillance. I mean, you know, you watch these action movies and, it, it, you know, they 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 act like, oh, the cops check this camera and then this camera and this camera. And like in 90 minutes, they found the guy. That's not how it works. It takes right. it takes a couple of weeks, but it can be done. And um, yeah, like one one piece of evidence, a car that looks like a Hyundai Elantra, put them in the right direction. Like yeah. to me, that's that's pretty encouraging in terms of getting crimes solved. So it, it is, it is. Um, so here's another thing. So there's two, well, I guess there's two things. One, when um so when when he, Brian what what Col, uh Kohlberger, when Kohlberger was arrested, he asked, was anyone else arrested? That's one of the things that was said. And they said, now, was did he say that to throw the police off? Did he, like, they don't know why. They were like, it was very odd. They arrested him. Of course, they read him the rights. And then he, he said, has anybody else been arrested? Now, who knows why he said that? That's one thing. The second question is, you know, what do you think his motivation is? Based on what I know, uh, he just seems to have a fascination with crime. I mean, it's truly like sociopathic. Right. Um, and I think those are the ones that that bother 
us as a society the most because they're so pointless and so meaningless and they can happen to anyone. If you go to a bar and start a fight with someone and that ends up with you getting shot, uh, you shouldn't have gotten shot. It's too bad. But everyone understands how you got in that situation. If you uh, agree to commit a crime with people and then you end up trying to cut them out of some money and they shoot you, everyone understand that. It doesn't make it right, but there's meaning that people can relate to. It's coherent. It might be wicked, might be evil, it's definitely violent, but it's it's coherent. And it's 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 incoherent when you have someone who just picks out random people to kill them because it seems interesting to him. And that puts us all at risk, right? I think that's why you see these these headlines like this. It's just uh, you know, it's it's dark. Okay. So you think I mean I mean, the fascination with you think that maybe his thought was, I'm going to do this and get away with it. Like, I'm going to commit the perfect murder. A hundred percent. Okay. Yeah. So, you, so what about the reaching out to one of the girls with the DM? Like, you don't think it was a rejection thing? That seems on, I mean, obviously that's a possibility, but to me, it seems more likely that he, He's identified someone for whatever reason, and like the more he knows about them, the easier it would be to, to kill them in the perfect crime scenario. And so that's maybe, why, so according later, to the, you think yeah. later, later he reached out to her, like maybe he'd already pinpointed this person and then reached out to her later. Yeah, my guess is he says, uh, Here's someone I could kill, uh, and I'm going to try to get away with it. So I want to learn as much as I can. And I, you know, figure out uh, where where she is or where they are, what they do, et cetera. And um, you know, he cased the location multiple times, yeah. weeks in advance. Um, and no one wants to hear that because that means like any any of us can be getting cased by a crazy person at any time. And we don't know it. No one, no one wants to hear that. It's so much better if it's a fight with a neighbor or a domestic incident or, or you know, something people can relate to. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Um, like I've given my address out. I have people come to, you know, my my studios in my house. Um, and, you know, people are always like, are you worried? Are you worried? Are you I'm like about what? Well, what if something happens? What if some like like what's going to happen? Like, you know, I was I live in a nice neighborhood, I think. But you know, I always think that, but yeah, that's, that's, it's definitely like an issue. Like if someone targets you and wants to find you, like how hard is it to, to track somebody down? Yeah. It, it's an interesting, you know, we all, you know, we lock our doors at night, right? <laughs> we lock our windows or whatever. I, I don't know how big of a strong guy you are. I don't know, but you know, if I wanted to get into someone's house, a locked window would not stop me. Like no. that, that's a joke. Anyone who who wants to get in can get in, but we all feel a little bit better, you know, if we if we lock a door or whatever. It it doesn't. It's 
it maybe it doesn't matter or maybe you you're making a little bit harder so the bad guy moves on to the next house yeah right locked windows and doors only stop honest people yeah i mean if someone has decided you're the target the locked window is not going to pre prevent you from being the target oh no listen uh, uh, an eight dollar, uh, a small eight dollar crowbar at at Home Depot takes care of any of that. Yeah, and that goes back to why it's so important that we have absolutely obsessed, driven uh, law enforcement officers who take on violent crimes and get them solved, because we want to live in a society where when the ultimate breach happens that there are repercussions that there's punishment that some degree of closure or finality or justice can be applied to it that's that's i mean it because it's so much more um gripping and horrifying to have a murder happen than to have someone lose money from a bank account right yeah, I don't know. I like the perfect. I, I, you know, what's what's funny is it, it just it does remind me of the whole Ted Bundy, you know, thing. Like I wonder to myself if he sat down and really sat, really sat down and thought to himself, "I want to pull off the the perfect murder." To me, like that's not really what Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy had a major problem with women. I, I, I in my opinion, I think this guy has. He's been. You know, apparently he was bullied in high school. He had went girls would throw things at him. Um, he, he's never had a real successful relationship with women. And maybe he's made so many attempts. He's just come up with this real hatred of women. And maybe that's what spawned. Because to me, like this is a crime almost of passion because you know, he certainly didn't come close to pulling off the per perfect murder. No. Like, I mean... Way too many gaffes, way too many yeah. gaffes. Um, you know, there's not a lot of uh, comedy in a no. situation like this, right? No. And, um, you know, it's not a situation where you want to find something to laugh about. Right. But, but you got quote, one? But the quote from his <laughs> lawyer in Pennsylvania is so hysterical. When I read it, I actually was like... Pfft. Like, it's a good thing I had a drink of coffee. So he gets arrested. And I think it was like a lawyer that his parents had hired. Maybe they knew the lawyer already. It was like just someone from the town there. And have you read this quote? It's so awesome. No, what is it? It's like, I'm not going to get it verbatim, but trust me, this is the gist of it. Uh, these allegations are not, uh, are very out of character for Brian. <laughs> Yo, you think? I as opposed to he does this all the time. Like yeah. nobody's oh. surprised. He just doesn't leave a trail of bodies all over the country. I mean, like, I, I, oh, I mean, lawyers are called on to, to speak at a moment's notice and you don't, you don't want to put a foot in your mouth and you definitely don't want to say like something that's false or misleading or stupid, but sometimes you just can't help yourself. This is so dumb. This is these allegations are they're very unlike him. 
known Brian for a lot of time. He's as far as I know, he's never murdered anybody. Yeah. So they 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 have to have his trial by um September, right? Because he's he's gonna be in custody for less than nine months unless he extends it because he has a right to speedy trial. So um I guess they're gonna uh, call his um his parents' lawyer in in Pennsylvania as a witness. They'll drive him over to Idaho. They'll get him on the stand, and he'll be like, "Yeah, I don't think it's true. It's I've never known him to kill anybody. So this doesn't sound right to me." Okay, thanks. Now you can just drive on back to Pennsylvania. You've been a great witness. Thanks for helping us out. It's funny some of the circumstantial stuff. Like you're right. The more I think about it, like there's just no way for him to. There's just nothing he can really say. Like there's no one story that fixes all of these that answers all of the, you know, one, I have a friend that lives in the area, you know, and maybe, you know, yep. I don't really know his name. I forget. I went over there much times. He moved while I was incarcerated, but that's part of the story, you know, or then, Hey, yeah, you know, it is funny. I lost, I had a sheath. I had a K bar with a sheath that I lost. I lost it in the area. They must've found it when I was visiting my butt. Like there's certain things you can say, I'll try and craft the story, but there's just no story that, that fits all of this. My phone, my phone sometimes puts itself in airplane mode in the middle of the night. Right. So weird. Never done it before. Yeah. But that night, and and I was, I, I sometimes drive while sleeping, sleep yeah. driving. Or, yeah. So, I, mean, just, um, no. uh, I was stoned out of my mind. So, you know, g- give me a less sentence. Um, uh, I, there was a guy that was making me do this. I was like, he was threatening to kill me if I didn't do these things. And he was with me and he's the real bad guy. Um, I am psychotic and I didn't know who I was or what was happening. I have these out of body experiences or whatever. I mean, <clears throat> these are, these are, these are failed arguments. They sound like arguments that a lawyer would make who said, yeah, I mean, I, I know a lot of people he hasn't killed. So I don't know. Um, do you remember the pizza? You know, do you remember the pizza bomber? No, no. The, the guy, they stuck a, a collar around the guy's neck. It was a bomb and they had him rob a bank. No. How have you never, what are you talking about? It was huge. Is this a, like a George Clooney movie or did it's it actually real- it's a real thing. These a group of guys, like it was a, it was, it was like three guys and a woman. They got together and they came up with this scheme where they're like, "Look, we're gonna rob a bank, but we want to be. If the guy gets caught that robs it, we want to be him to be able to say, like, it's I'm not involved. They made somebody made me do it. Yeah. So one of their buddies sold was a pizza driver. They put in an order, and he's in on it. By the way, yeah, he has to be in on it. Well, no, yeah. a lot of people think. He wasn't at first. It was like he's not in on it. Yeah, I thought he wasn't because what happened was he gets an order. He drives to a location and then supposedly the story was he gets kind of mugged there. These people that have masks on and stuff put a collar on him with a bomb. They say, go rob this bank and then meet us here and give us the money. And that was done because, of course, if he's caught, he can say, I wasn't in on this. Like there's people grab me and then they'd be like, okay, that makes sense. Okay. We get it. You know, it, it does. You're right. You do have this collar on. We took it off you. It, so he goes to the bank, he robs the bank, he comes out, but of course they, they catch him as he leaves the bank, the cops pull him over. Could be the collar was slowing him down. It was pretty heavy. He gets out and they, of course, you know, when he gets out, they see him, like he gets out and he's like, look, I got this collar on. 
And he's trying to tell the police, like, call the bomb squad. So they basically say, stay over there. You know, they put the handcuffs on him and they, they walk away. So he's got handcuffs on. He's just sitting there and he's screaming, get the bomb squad, get the bomb squad. Well, you know, the cameras are there. and This is all on film. Um, and then it ends up going off. It's a real bomb. Oh, no. You, I mean, I can't believe you've never heard of this. No. So, yeah. Boom. Right there on camera. Boom. Blows the head off the whole thing. I was in prison with the guy that made the bomb. They called him the pizza bomber. <sighs> he used to sweep up on the compound. So one time I go to him and I said, hey, bro, <laughs> I said, can I ask you some questions? And he goes, yeah, sure. I mean, very awkward, chubby, probably guy. And probably was in his late, probably in his early 60s, late 50s, early 60s. And he's like, yeah, sure. What? I said, what's up, man? Like, what's up? What happened? And he, and we talked for a little bit and he said, first of all, he said, you know, it's not even my fault. And, and I said, why even make the bomb work? And yeah, he said, it doesn't need to work. He said, because it needed to work. So it was convincing, like who would put a real bomb on themselves? So if he's caught, he can say like, I wouldn't put a real bomb on me. He said, and we, we thought that if he was caught, the bomb squad would get it off him before it went off. And I went, okay. I said, still like that. And he goes, and he said, it's not even my fault. He said, honestly, it's, it's the police's fault. He said, the bomb squad didn't get there in time. Wow. That, and that was literally his, like, it's not my fault. The bomb squad, they messed up. It's their fault. Um, this is the guy that. whose time in jail has not led him to a point of reflection where he can see some of his own flaws, I take it. Well, I mean, he he ended up dying, so he's reflecting now. Okay, yeah, all right. He's he's uh yeah. Wow. Right, um, but that's just people are just delusional. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there. I know that there is a perfect crime, and obviously, people do get away with murders. Uh, but it's getting rarer and rarer. Look, the DNA stuff that uh, that the law enforcement are able to use now. It's fascinating. They they can really they can really hone in on people, and they can exonerate people, which is great. And they can also get the the right guy, which is also great. Did, did you ever read um, John Grisham's uh, "The Innocent Man"? I have not read it. Oh my god! This guy goes to trial. So there's a rape charge, right? Rape. The the woman was raped and murdered. The police. Uh, the prosecution the entire time is saying he acted alone he raped this woman he murdered her that's their whole thing he's saying that's not me i didn't rape her there's no way and they and he said that must have been somebody else and they said no no you acted alone we can prove that the the shoe print fits yours the People saw you in the area. You knew the woman. Like they go through the whole thing. It was their whole argument is it's you acted alone. 10 years later, he goes to the innocence program. He finally convinces them because back then the innocence program, if there was DNA that like, like DNA wasn't really a thing yet. Okay? Yeah. DNA's new. So he finally convinces them to order DNA. They order DNA and it proves that it wasn't him. 
Wow. He's not the person that raped her. Therefore, he can't be the person that killed her. So the prosecution, they come back and they say, all that means is he worked with someone else. (laughs) Your whole case was he he worked alone. Wow. Yeah. So I was going to say, sometimes they just dig in. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I got to tell you my John Grisham story, right? Okay. Uh, He had a book called The Rainmaker and it was made into a movie with uh, Claire Danes and Matt Damon. I love The Rainmaker. Okay. So you've seen- By the way, I I read all the books. Okay. My mom played a nurse in The Rainmaker. She, um, there's a scene where Claire Danes is in the hospital and Matt Damon goes to visit her. Yes. And kind of a, a middle-aged, you know, beyond middle-aged uh, nurse with uh, reddish hair says something like, uh, visiting hours are over, hun. You got to go now. That's my mom. Nice. Yep. Well, so was, was she, uh, was it kind of a fluke that, or is she a, a, an actress? Like she was. Yeah, she did. She did acting stuff locally. And that movie was filmed in Memphis and they tried to uh, cast locally you know they don't want to import somebody from a long way away to say one line yeah yeah um, yeah that's funny what's your favorite john grisham book um well i mean i thought the firm was pretty fun for a for a book um the m- movie version the runaway jury I really I really enjoyed it's great acting. I, I like John Cusack, so um oh. that's that's an easy one for me. Ugh. I, I mean that the that it was the movie was okay. The book was great. They also switched the plaintiff. Yeah. You know, they switched the plaintiff from tobacco to uh to guns. Guns, yeah. They had to I guess make it something more palatable for Hollywood or something. I don't know. But it's a great like the whole idea that you can like dig into the backgrounds and of the jury and like try to get yourself on that, all that like cloak and daggery type stuff was fascinating that's, to me. That's what made the book so much better. Yeah, great book. Um, great. I was gonna say uh, uh, this book, what he wrote that was not a part of, it was never made into a movie that I know of, was uh, The Partner. Oh yeah, I don't think I've read that one. I probably read it six times. In, in, in prison or out of prison? I read it tw- probably twice before I ever went to prison. Okay. But I, I listened to it on on tape or on tape. They don't have it on tape anymore. But the, I listened to it, you know, um, I used to, you know, kind of like Audible, but you would get like tapes or DVDs. I listened to it several times. And then when I went to prison, I read it multiple times after that. I just I just loved it. And then the other one is The Brethren. Um, you should read The Brethren. If you've never read The Brethren. Never you, read The Brethren. Oh, you've got to get it. What book have you read the most number of times in your life? Listen, The Partner's up there. Oh, for real? It, it really is. That's why it's funny that you mentioned John Grisham. Um, you mentioned John Grisham. Um, oh, I. Oh, did I? I don't know. Oh, yeah, The Innocent Man. The Innocent yeah, man. that's right. I, I did. Was. It was you. Um, trying to think, yeah. what what have I? I've read. Um, well, I honestly did. There's just no way I read. Like I literally have read the partner multiple times. Probably, maybe Fight Club. Ah, uh, I've actually yeah. read Catch Me If You Can probably three or four times, but that's that's the most. Like that, maybe Fight Club. Maybe. Gosh. How, uh, how fair is uh, the Catch Me 
movie to the Catch Me book. Very similar. Okay. Very right. like it's one of those kind of like Fight Club is literally because it's so short. You know, it's hard to turn something like like the Runaway Jury into two hours of film when because it's really about twelve to eighteen hours of film. They have to just consolidate it to such an extent that people are always going to be disappointed. But luckily, Fight Club was. You know, it's like 100 and 180 pages. Yeah. Catch me if you can. It's like 195 pages. Like that's yeah. not that that you got to cut out some stuff and you can they 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 kind of blended some scenes together, left one or two out and then it's great. Like it's really a solid solid um uh adaptation. Well, I mean the opposite end of the spectrum is these uh Harry Potter books that are like a thousand pages long and they you know they make them into into a movie, they're obviously going to just, you know, slice and dice it. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, the other thing I liked about The Runaway Jury is it's set in New Orleans. New, New Orleans is a city I like to visit. I love the food there, like to go there. And it's very much a a geographically placed movie, right? It's important yes. that it's there. I was down in uh, New Orleans for some depositions a couple of years back, and I'm on a streetcar getting from one place to another, <laughs> and there's this just giant crime scene, yellow tape everywhere, FBI cops, just like crazy. I'm like, holy cow, what happened there? And I'm staring and I realize there's, there's, it's a set. They're like doing CSI New Orleans or whatever it is. I was, they were filming it on the street. And I thought it was a real crime scene. Um, I have a New Orleans story. So, uh, and I mentioned, it's funny, I never mentioned this. Whenever I tell my story, I don't ever really mention this. I, I even did a long, long version of my story on my channel. And I never, and I don't think I mentioned this. When I was on the run, because I didn't even know it while I was on the run. I didn't find this out till later when I ordered the Freedom of Information Act on my case. So at one point I was on the run and me and this girl, we go on vacation, right? Because we have a lot of time on our hands. So we go to New Orleans for like a week. We do the, the ghost tours, you know. We didn't stay on Bourbon Street. We, like, stayed on Royale Street. Yeah, I've stayed there, on Royale. There was a gallery, an art gallery, a block or two away from the hotel we stayed at. So we go. We do whatever. We leave. You know, we hang out for a week or so. We go back. We continue doing our little scam. Um, what ends up happening later when I research my, my case I find a U.S. Marshals report that the same period of time that we were in New Orleans, the U.S. Marshals had found. Now, keep in mind, I have a degree in fine arts, so I'm an artist, right? Like I paint paintings, and you know, here, look, so I could paint paintings. You painted that? Yeah. Are those available? Do you have a store on your on your YouTube channel? Can people go down below and buy buy uh, artwork? I have an Etsy. I have an Etsy account. People go there and buy stuff. There you go. Okay. So, so I later found out when I ordered the Freedom of Information Act, I found out that the marshals had found out there was an artist named Matthew Cox who was had an exhibit that was opening in New Orleans. They flew. Well, I don't know if they flew them, whatever. They could have been local, but they, they, they sent two U.S. Marshals 
to the gallery and showed them a picture that the owner, a picture of my, me. And they said, is this Matthew Cox? And he said, I've known Matthew Cox for whatever, six or seven years. The artist that I'm doing the gallery with, he said, that is not him. And they said, okay. And they left. I was there two blocks away the same period of time. And remember in the book, I, I you know, cause I don't know in the book, I say, for all I know, they walked right by me and my girlfriend, you know, having cafe or having a coffee at a cafe. Like for all I know, like we bumped, yeah. we, we, I don't know that that happened, but I'm saying that's how close of a call it was that I didn't even realize it till years later. That is so unlikely. That's fantastic. Isn't that's it? Awesome. Like, and I didn't know, like I didn't yeah. even know till I'm sitting in, and I was like, and I was, here's what's funny is I was looking at the date and I went and I actually contacted my co-defendant who had been let out by then and asked her when did we go to new orleans and she said oh it was 2004 it no it was 2000 it was like uh january it was like march of 2004 or april of 2000 she was like yeah the first week remember because she had a reason she remembered i was like oh my god that's so crazy that's so, awesome yeah that's another close call yeah so that's a close call uh Koberger didn't have any close calls. Like, I mean, I know he got like pulled over when he's driving from Idaho to Pennsylvania, but tailgating, he wasn't fleeing. And so it's not, it's not really a close call because they don't even have the evidence that they want to have in order to arrest him. So, so okay, I, have a, I have a question. How do you think he felt when he got pulled over? Oh, I mean, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say it on your channel. Cause I don't want you to get demonetized, but uh, it was, you know, it was graphic. <laughs> He must have been. Yes. It was. He had all the bodily functions. Oh, my God. Yeah, he had them all. That's that's rough right there, man. Um, is your when you see a story like this in the news, uh, do you think, oh, this is one I'm going to follow? I'm going to I like I care how this turns out. Or is it just like, well, while it's in the headlines, it's interesting. Um. Like you mean that I'm gonna do on the channel that I'm gonna talk about, or just in your like in your own mind? Is it like is this something that you latch onto and you're like, oh, I really want to know how this how this ends? This story, not so much. It, it really does. You know, my interest really pulls more toward toward some type of um of, of fraud or scams like yeah I'm, you know interested but even then i don't typically like every day check in like what's going on what's going on and yeah. the other thing is i've especially don't do that because i have so many people that are notifying me of things oh okay yeah i have tons of people in the comment section that say hey bro did you just hear this hey matt you should check out this and, and then I'll go, usually they just say, hey, you should check out this. And I don't even know what they're talking about. And then I'll, I'll usually go comment and say, can you send me a link? So it's like, you know, if you send me a link, like the, the guys that I've done this with, now they kind of come back and they say, hey, this is what's going on. You should check this out. Here's a link. <laughs> it's like, yes. Ah, that's awesome. That's very helpful. So, yeah. So I'm, and especially if I do a, do something on the channel, then I constantly get updates by people saying, hey, this just happened. This just happened. So, but you know, you can only do so much of something before it, it gets played out and you can't do a video on every single thing that changes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the S, it, I, I heard that the, uh, 
SBF yeah. came out again and he's still saying crazy. Like he's still doing interviews. Like you're he must be driving his lawyer nuts. Yeah, he's he's blogging uh ab about the the scam and um i'm i'm sh i think i'm shooting a video about that this afternoon that's gonna go on my channel uh sometime soon because it's just completely crazy like you can't talk while your lawyer is telling you to shut up he's not, well, he's not no one ever him. makes their situation better by speaking to the public it just doesn't he's no. acting like he's he's gonna be uh tried to a jury filled with uh uh hedge fund managers he's not they he has no story to tell the public he just needs to go have his trial yeah he really needs to go in and try and just take a plea because he can yeah. at least save himself some you know if he if he at least get a couple point two three points off for acceptance of responsibility yep you know and um was it acceptance of responsibility and um speedy uh plea a speedy plea is that what they yeah, it's it's something it's something to do with the speed. Yeah, you get like three, you get like three points, like two for acceptance and one for sparing us having to drag this thing out. Um, yeah, I don't know how can how can I secretly signal you that I gotta go because I've got a, a lunch meeting I gotta get to. No, that's fine. <laughs> Listen, I'll talk and talk and talk. I'll I'll I'm a talker. Yeah, this is great for me because I'll just yeah. say you're a talker. I'm a talker. Yeah, um, but yeah. I'm oh, can't, oh can't wow he, you went you just <laughs> got it you could at least let me say goodbye was, was, <laughs> so yeah and uh all right I'm good so we're good yeah um and so it is actually very interesting to talk with you you have lived an unusual life and I guarantee you that you are um a source of um insight to your viewers that they're not getting anywhere else. So I'm glad that I'm glad they're listening to you. That's, that's the nicest way to put it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so well, listen, I appreciate it. I appreciate you coming on again. And um, yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, what is the name of your channel? America it's called America's attorney. attorney. Uh, send them over there. And uh, to prove that they came from your channel, from the end of your video, uh, they need to get into my comment section and tell me how old I am. Okay. You're what are you 46, 48? I'm not gonna say they just need to get down there and make their guess. All right. Okay. All right. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> and I appreciate you doing this and thank you. And I will talk to you next time. Yeah, sounds great. See you, man. All right, see ya. Hey, I appreciate you guys watching. Um do me a favor and uh, subscribe to the channel. Hit the bell so you get notified of videos just like this. Leave me a comment in the comment section. If you want me to kind of review something that's within my wheelhouse, uh, please leave me a comment in the comment section. Leave me a link. Check out my Patreon. You know, YouTube's not paying my bills completely. Uh, buy a book. I got a whole bunch of books. For sale, you can go. They're all on uh, Barnes and Nobles and Amazon. Uh, a lot of them already been turned into uh, Audible uh, um, audiobooks. They're on Audible, and I really do appreciate you guys watching. Uh, I love making these videos, and yeah, let me know what you think. Thank you. Share the video. Subscribe. You know what to do. Yeah. Are you guys getting any traction from these? Um, uh, we would need to go back in. Well, only one of them has aired.
right? Oh, the second okay. one's airing tomorrow. Oh, right. And I don't know when you're when you are planning to put this one out, but this is the perfect test case video for me because I have a I've made my own scripted video that's shot on this topic and has been up for it's it's been up for maybe uh, nine days. And so, like, it it has the life that it's going to have. Or is it six days? It's, oh, it's been up for seven days. And so, um, we, you know, we've played with the thumbnail. We've gotten all the life out of that video we're going to get out of it. And so, we, it'll be real interesting to see if we get any traction on it after this video airs. I'm real interested to see if I get uh, anyone who watches our interview, our discussion, and then comes over to my channel and watches the kind of dedicated um, scripted thing.